You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Welcome once again to Deep Dives with Sharks. I am your host, Alex, the self-proclaimed shark expert, although once again, very much far from it, just a shark fanatic, solid pun. But with this, i uh, really happy to see you guys here again. Of course, we're going to be talking about sharks. One thing I do want to mention from last week that I did forget to mention about the zebra shark is that they are actually endangered. Um, most of the sharks we will talk about on this podcast are going to be endangered, threatened, vulnerable, some way, shape, or form. Very few are going to be absolutely thriving out in nature. Um, a lot of this comes from overfishing and unhealthy fishing population, or um, not populations, uh, different methods, I guess I should say. But it should be just noted that a lot of them do need a lot of help through conservation efforts and anything like that. But I'm very excited to talk about the shark that we have here today. It is one of my personal favorites and usually the one that I go to when I first think of a shark. Now, of course, it's a very generic looking shark, so kind of easy to come up with when you think of a shark great white but my brain tries to be a little bit different so I usually go to just a standard plain just gray looking shark so what we did is we decided to go for the silky shark this week now probably don't know about the silky shark may not be the or maybe the first time that you're hearing about it but neat thing about this is they're known by a lot of other names so they're known as the olive shark the gray whaler shark ridgeback shark black spot shark sickle shark and the sickle silk shark, which that one is a mouthful. I don't know how anyone can get that out quickly without stumbling over their words. But these sharks aren't very big. Uh, they're going to be only about eight feet or two and a half meters long, so pretty small in their length. And then weight-wise as well, they only usually grow about on average 420 pounds. So they're not going to be a whole lot there either. So grand scheme of things, you're looking at all these other sharks. They're going to be on the lower end not quite as small as a dwarf lantern shark, which is usually only about the size of a pencil, or not quite as big as a great white hammerhead, anything like that, which is going to grow usually about right around 20 feet, maybe a little bit less, so somewhere in there. But these sharks are going to use their size to their advantage as they make up for it in agility, because these are going to be a very agile shark. Now, these sharks, sharks live in the pelagic zone. It's going to be known as the open ocean. And they're only going to go about 160 feet down. So usually you're not going to run into these sharks being on the beach. You're not going to see them all that much, really ever. But they go all over the world as well. You'll find them all across North America, both both on the east and west coast. You also will see them in Europe, Australia, parts of Asia, uh, South America as well. You'll see them all over the place. They do tend to move with the water they try to be in the tropical areas mostly and you'll find them in the gulf of mexico year round but they're going to move with the current uh with the water temperatures whatever is working in that way they're going to go north or south as the seasons change now there are a couple things you can use to identify these sharks first of all being just that they are gray in color now this does not help when you're comparing them to most other sharks as they are also going to be gray in color so we're going to try to also add a couple extra things you can identify them by their smaller dorsal fin they'll have. Now, this is also another harder thing to do because it's going to be a simple triangle shape as most shark fins are. 
but also they're going to have curved pectoral fins. So they're going to be more sickle shaped, which is why they have the sickle shark name as well as the sickle silk shark. So you get those smaller dorsal fins, curved pectoral fins. But another thing to identify them with is going to be their teeth. Now it's kind of hard to identify a shark just based off their teeth, especially when you're out in the wild. And I'm not too sure. Actually, one thing I didn't look up is if there's any in aquariums. So I'll have to make sure I look into that next week. But you're going to have their teeth that are two different shapes. Now, sharks usually have a couple different teeth shapes. Uh, two of the most popular ones are going to be triangular or more pointy, kind of sword-like. So for these guys, usually you think of a great white. You think of their nice triangular teeth that have that serration on the end going to be really helpful when they are biting larger prey and trying to thrash it around and of course get parts of it to tear off. So when they're hunting after a seal, they can grab onto it, very agile prey there. They want to make sure they can hold onto that so it's not going to get away because of course you need to eat. So going to make sure they can hold onto that. But then other sharks like the mako have more pointy teeth, so they're going to be more useful especially for a shark that is fast like that. They're going to be able to go quickly and not have a wider thing that has to try to go through really their prey at that point. I mean, think of how an arrow works. If you had an arrow and it was incredibly wide, wouldn't fly through the air very easily. Same way that once it hits a tree or anything, it's that nice serration that helps it to not come out, uh, or the, um, the serrations on the point, I should say, and also does go out so it's harder to remove. But arrows are usually skinny, so that way they can move quicker. So this is going to be the same deal and as they go to bite their prey it's going to impale quicker which helps especially when breaching and moving at high speeds the silky shark has both of these teeth so it will have its top teeth which are more triangular in shape and they'll have the serrations on the side which help when they are hunting their larger prey such as tuna and cephalopods like squids and octopus octopi there we go the only time in my life when octopi is actually the correct one and i haven't done that as a joke and i mess it up fantastic but with this they're going to be hunting octopi and other squid and also they're going to be hunting smaller fish which are a lot help which having those bottom teeth is a lot more helpful so that way they can catch them quicker impale them and then keep moving now one thing to mention too is i did get this part of the podcast especially from a research paper i read by wilga and mata which was done in 1999 focusing on the hunting patterns of sharks so first they were talking about their teeth structure and why they would have it that way, which is for what I just listed there. Now, the cool thing was earlier today, I was kind of just speculating before I actually got to jump in and look at it, so it's kind of really cool to be, I guess, uh, justified, or uh, I guess know that I was kind of correct in that assumption, which was kind of neat to feel, but on this, it was really neat because they also got to look and see that sharks tend to have different hunting patterns, and for the silky especially, they do more of a slashing method. So they're going to swim towards a school of fish after they get it all together, and then rather than swimming through the middle and breaking that bait ball up, which, as I mentioned last week, is just when you get that school of fish into a frenzy, they're going to come in from the side and tend to bite off to whichever side they are swimming in, so more inwards towards that bait ball. This is going to help to make sure that they can go ahead and catch some of those larger fish on their top teeth, but also potentially hit smaller fish, or any fish really, with their lower teeth that might not have gone in had they been wider. So having that lower tooth that can impale and injure still slows down their prey, because a lot of sharks don't know when their next meal is coming, so they need to make sure that they can catch as much as possible. So they're going to be able to catch a lot of them, especially with that slashing pattern, because fish, of course, they're observant, most of the time, depending on the species, but they're going to know, of course, once 
an animal is coming right at them that they need to break apart. Safety in numbers at that point doesn't help. You need to get away, and having that issue there, they don't want to get bitten and eaten, so they're going to try to not break apart. So going from the outside, a little bit easier. Now, these sharks are listed as threatened. Uh, so they're not endangered, and they're actually one of the most abundant sharks in the pelagic zone. So they're very easy to find, as I mentioned earlier. They're going to be all over the place, very easy to find and catch. Now with this as well, they also, neat thing about it, is that they give live birth. Now some sharks are going to lay eggs, others are going to do live birth. Neat thing about the sharks that do live birth is they have belly buttons. That's just a fun thing that my brain really enjoys, and I think it was lemon sharks that I first learned had belly buttons, and then I kind of doing more research, other people, like other shark experts kind of came out of the woodwork and stated that every shark that gives live birth also is going to have belly buttons, but apparently lemon sharks were one of the first ones they noticed that on, and thought that was really neat so once we get to lemon sharks i'll talk more about their belly buttons but <laughs> with this they also since they live in the pelagic zone or the open ocean they don't have a whole lot of interaction with humans the most that they do is going to be with divers or fishing anything like that so they get tagged quite a bit so that way we can do more research on them and figure out where they're going and what they're doing but the biggest threat is actually what humans will do to this shark so this shark has very few bites with humans, a couple of course when people don't leave them alone, but that's going to be a very common theme of this as well, is that if the shark doesn't want to be messed with, don't mess with it. Easy enough. But this shark tends to not go after divers. They get a little bit curious and then they swim away. They're not really too, too engaged. But this one, a lot of times humans will go after them, especially being an abundant shark and really using any shark, especially for shark finning, they're going to go after them for that. Now, for those of you that do not know, Shark finning is when fishers will catch a shark, cut off its fins, uh, tail fin, dorsal fin, pectoral fins, and will just throw it back in the water. Um, it's completely dumb. There's not a whole lot of meat. I mean, sharks don't really, I mean, sharks have meat in them, of course, but it, it's not like the fin is the meatiest part of the shark. It's usually used in shark fin soup, and it's just not really, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. It just does not really seem to do anything. So... It's really frustrating, and of course, I will always talk about this probably a million and a half times. It's a very dumb practice in my mind, and it's just something that researchers and conservationists are working incredibly hard to stop and try to find other ways that it can happen, but this is probably one of the biggest threats to sharks because really any shark can do it, and they can just catch a shark, cut their fins off, throw them back, and that's that. Another reason why this fish is caught, or the shark is caught, I mean, they are fish too, but reason why they're caught is for oil that is on their skin and in their body as well as their jaws because that is a fantastic souvenir for some people especially being a smaller shark they're not going to have a large mouth and that can be hung up somewhere and that looks really cool but once again a very stupid reason to kill a shark in my opinion now from here as well another big issue now this one makes more sense but also begs why don't we have more safe fishing practices is because of bycatch now Bycatch, for those of you that do not know as well, is going to be when you're aiming to catch a large school of fish, but then a different species gets caught in there. So, for example, really popular fish around the world is tuna. A lot of people like eating it, and they're always going to fish for it. So, when they're going after a school of tuna, you're then going to have the silky shark that is right behind it, and then going to go through and try to grab it. So it's going to have that issue there where it's going to get caught up in the net, eventually suffocate, and then that's going to cause it to die, which a little bit of a problem. But that's really the main things that bother the silky shark. That's what we have about the silky shark this week. Uh, of course, 
I'll probably have more to say about it next week, so I'll have to go back into it at that point, but so far, this is what we have. Now, of course, going on to safety, I simply named this section this week, Don't Punch a Shark. The amount of times you go online and see that if, or even on TV, anything like that, and you hear if you encounter a shark and it's getting too close or anything like this, and this is happening, that's happening, punch it. It's a very dumb idea. Um, same way that if I come up to you and you're trying to see what's going on and I punch you, you're probably going to get irritated. Uh, and you're probably going to want to retaliate. Same thing for a shark. If it's just hanging out being like, oh, what's going on here, and he gets punched, but now it probably wants to bite you. So not the best idea. There's things you can do that are much, much safer. Starting with simply just try to keep it at a distance. Now there's an easy way you can do that. If you're on a beach or in the tide, I should say, and you see a shark swimming around you and you're wondering, oh, I don't want it to get too close. Well, just keep, stay vertical. Same thing goes if you're swimming in the ocean, in the water, just stay vertical, keep eyes on it. Sharks and fish know what eyes are. They also have them, so they can identify what an eye is on something else. That's why a lot of fish have evolved to have a false eye, so that way a predator will attack that and they can still swim away. So this here, they can tell what an eye is, and if you're looking at it, they're not really going to want to mess with you because they're not aware, like they don't know what you're capable of. So same thing that if you're watching an altercation go on in public and you see the two people are looking in your direction and they're getting loud, but they're seeing that you're watching – you're probably going to go away too because you don't want to know what's going on here. So if they're not paying attention, they're completely tunnel visioned on each other. That's when a crowd forms. So one of those things there. So same thing with the shark. It's not really going to know what you're capable of. So if you're keeping an eye on it, it's usually going to keep a distance because it doesn't want to find out if you can end it in one second. But with this, it's also not going to swim up to you that easily. I mean, most fish are not. Very few do. Uh, but even if they do, they're pretty bold. Now, of course, if a shark does get a little bit closer to you, you do want to make sure that you try to keep them at a distance. So if it's getting a little too close for comfort, but it's not too close yet, because this next one, very important for keeping them at a distance, but if they're within a range, you can't do this one. This one, you kind of want to do a quick movement towards them. Now, kind of like what you'd call like a pump fake. Like you want to act like you're going to do something to it, but really don't. Don't go chasing after it, like not like a bear where you have to be big and scream at it, but like a quick little like move towards it going to help to make sure that it once again does not know what you're capable of and it's going to move away now if it's within distance to bite you that's a very bad idea same way that if you go out to a dog who's skittish and you quickly just grab it or, or something like that they usually tend to bite at you or bite you uh depends on the dog a shark's going to do the same thing you just lunge at it and grab it it's going to turn around and bite you just not the best idea but from here going to be a nice easy way to do it just kind of do that pump fake if they're far enough away it'll work fantastic but <clears throat> another way if they are close enough to the point that you can in fact touch them what you're going to do is simply just push them away from you now i know that that sounds absolutely insane and a couple of my friends that i've told this to act like i'm a lunatic when i say this to them you don't want to punch the shark they have sensors on their nose so punching them on the nose or the eye is not really going to do anything it's just going to piss them off what you should do is make contact with their nose with your hand uh, try to guide them to the left or the right so whichever side you're going for don't try to for some reason grab from the right and then try to pull them to the right that's just going to pull them across your arm you're going to get bit but what you're going to do push them away from you push towards the left at that point just guide them away from you and they'll probably follow that now immediately as soon as those sensors get touched they usually go into overdrive and then they don't really know what to do so they wanted to let go so they're going to pull away from you anyway so from there, they're already going in a different direction. Now, as they're passing by, another thing to do is kind of just keep guiding them by pushing at their gills. 
Now, sharks tend to communicate by biting at each other's gills. So when they're biting at each other's gills, it's usually to say that whatever prey is in the area is going to be theirs. It's not going to be the smaller sharks. It's going for the bigger shark. So don't bite at that or don't go for that food. That's mine. So they're going to keep doing that, and they're just going to communicate by going at each other's gills. So pushing at their gills kind of sends the message that I'm the big shark in the area, and they're not going to want to challenge you because usually the smaller sharks don't end up doing that. So from there, they'll also usually head away. Now, sharks also tend to be very skittish, so they usually don't want the smoke. <laughs> so what you're going to have to do is just kind of stand your ground a little bit. Of course, if you're able to walk out of the water and you're getting a little too uncomfy, by all means, safety first. Don't try to sit there and be like, well, I learned in this podcast. I should, like, no, like, 100% safety first. You're always going to be safest on land. You have a 0% chance of getting bit by a shark if you are standing on sand rather than standing in the water. So from there, do what you can. A lot of sharks aren't going to come right up to you. Now, there are a couple exceptions. A lot of the bigger sharks might, uh, and they're also usually all the filter feeders because they're just kind of there to eat whatever's around. Uh, like all the smaller uh, cells and uh, scales, everything I talked about last week from the fishing piers. So a whale shark's just there to eat plankton, eat anything that's in the water that is small enough to, to fit in its mouth. But from here, they're not going to eat humans. They're also not going to try to swallow you up. But when I went snorkeling with them this past summer, they swam right up to you. They did not care because they're 40, 50, 60 feet long. So, of course, nothing's really going to mess with it. So it will swim right up to you. It does not care what five, six, seven foot human is about to try to do to them because nine times out of ten, hand-to-hand combat, nothing's going to happen. You're going to punch a whale shark and it's not even going to realize anything happened. So not saying go punch a whale shark. Please, for the love of God, do not punch a whale shark. I'll be very upset. But what you're going to do is just stand your ground a little bit. But of course with whale sharks, you have to be careful. Or bigger sharks like that, basking sharks as well. They have a very powerful tail because when you have to move an animal that is multiple tons, it's got to have a lot of power behind it. So you just want to make sure you watch out for their tail at that point. And of course, we'll touch more on that once we get to those episodes with the basking and the whale shark. But usually what's going to happen, the shark's just going to be more confused as to what just happened. So are you. Uh, Both of you are kind of going to be like, well, why the hell did that happen? And then you're both just going to go on your merry way, not really having any clue the wiser. So it's going to be a really cool experience if you get to do it. But also, once again, try to stay calm. It's a very easy thing to say, a very hard thing to do, because going back to that snorkeling experience, knowing that sharks, or the whale sharks especially, are gentle giants. They're not going to hurt you. They don't have anything that can bite you, anything like that. They, I can't even fit in their mouth. Still seeing an animal that size right next to you, or like I guess seeing a shark too right next to me, still would probably send me into some sort of shock. So again, my heart rate was pumping the entire time. It was absolutely amazing. I guarantee I will do it again at some point in my life, but definitely a, a terrifying, to say the least, experience. Now, last thing, I did have to add an extra shark story this week because the very first one going to be very quick. <laughs> so people may have seen it. Uh, there were about a million and a half different sources that came out and reported this past week as of September 19th, 2022, that the Megalodon returns. This, of course, even I fell for the clickbait because I was just talking to one of my coworkers saying that I can almost guarantee that Megalodons do not exist because prey has evolved to be smaller and Megalodons would be too slow. They wouldn't be able to eat enough even if they could catch it. So, plus, I mean, we've got proof of colossal and giant squids. 
they're massive. Uh, we've got proof of whale sharks too. Like we've got proof of so many deep sea animals as well that it wouldn't make any sense that a 60 foot essentially great white could be hanging out somewhere in the ocean and no sign of it has washed up other than fossilized teeth from years ago. We have not found a single fresh megalodon tooth ever. And quite literally almost within the same breath, I then get a notification on my phone, the megalodon returns. And I literally was just so mad. But doing some research into looking at it, it was pretty much saying that there were these scientists that were doing research out on a boat, uh, tagging sharks and everything else. And all of a sudden on their fish scanner, they got this massive shark-shaped blob. And they were like, it's about 50 feet long. And they were all absolutely amazed because it was vaguely shark-shaped. If you saw the pictures, you suspend your disbelief as well. You kind of look at it and you're like, this is in fact the Megalodon. It has returned absolutely amazing. I can't believe it's here. And then as they're watching it, it's moving and it's not moving in a way that a shark should move. And they're like, huh, kind of weird. And then it just split in half. So really interesting there. Um, so then they realized that what they were looking at was actually a very large school of fish. Um, I don't actually have a source for uh, which, wh whichever one you want to choose, honestly. Uh, I think every single NBC, CNN, MSNBC, like probably even anything like that, any news one <laughs> that's out there, probably all the political ones too, went out and reported that the Megalodon had returned and it really hadn't. So I didn't even pick really a source to go off of that one, but all of them are there. Um, they all pretty much ended up saying the same thing. If the Megalodon isn't actually back, um, it's actually just going to be a bunch of fish that were all together and then split apart, and the scientists were disappointed. But that was really that story for this week. Now, next one that's actually I'm really excited to see was that there was a very rare shark found. Well, two of them actually found off the coast of San Diego. So we get a nice West Coast story this time. I usually focus on the East Coast being on the east coast of America makes it a little bit easier to focus on east coast stories but this week I do have a west coast story and it's going to be the mega mouse shark that actually showed up now there were two sharks one was about 13 feet and the other one was about 18 I believe I saw uh, this was also reported by NBC San Diego just to make sure I give that source out there as well um, and it was spotted about 30 miles off of the coast of San Diego which was incredible for a variety of reasons uh, for one, they're pretty large, uh, for one. They're large sharks. Uh, they can go anywhere. I've seen different sources say they grow to be about 18 feet all the way up to about 28 feet, 30 feet sometimes. So it really just depends on the source you're using. Um, the issue is why they have such a huge range is also because they're incredibly rare. So they were first uh, sighted, I believe it said 1977, uh, so very recently when it comes to uh, like shark research and the thing is there's very little known about them this was one of the very few sightings where there were actually two in the same area as well and both of them were on the surface because they're usually deep sea sharks so seeing them this close to the surface and also seeing them interacting with each other and the fishermen were kind of upset so they were hoping to get uh them to like interact more and like stay around but they were throwing like chum into the water for him but the issue is that it was mostly like throwing like fish hoping that they'd take them but they eat plankton so they were throwing the wrong food at them and they didn't really have i think they didn't have enough chum or anything to throw them in the water but they were just kind of throwing like what they were putting their bait in and they had no interest in anything that they were throwing at them so i probably just fed the other sharks in the area anyway but these guys were hanging out they think it might have been a mating ritual they're not sure 
Uh, they did notice that one had a bit of scarring on it, and when sharks tend to mate, it tends to be rather violent looking. Um, they tend to bite each other a lot, so trying to make sure that they can uh, stay in touch with each other, of course, and stay in contact, so they'll bite each other a lot. But one of those things that they think it was that because of the scarring they saw on the one, they're not sure if they were male or female, but that is what happened. That's actually really, really cool. Uh, they also, another thing was that anyone that was on that boat was not in any danger, at least not with those sharks, because they're also going to be filter feeders, so they're not going to bite you, anything like that. I mean, as I mentioned, they don't really care about the fish they were throwing at them, so they wouldn't really care if anyone fell in the water or anything like that either. Now, of course, coming back to the East Coast, the last story that I have making up for the Megalodon Returns one is going to be the Mako Shark lands on a fishing boat in Maine. Now, this one was also a very popular one that went around the internet. This one I got from USA Today and CNN. Uh, and pretty simple, there was a fishing boat going out. Uh, they were mostly, their main goal is to catch sharks to tag them uh, and then release them back in the water. So I was actually very glad at first because when I first saw this video, I was irritated, especially uh, after reading stories uh, in the past couple months that Florida had been hosting I'm not sure if it was the Florida government or anything like that. I just know that they were in Florida. They were hosting shark fishing tournaments uh, and especially like giving big prizes for, I think, endangered species, like critically endangered as well. So the whole shark community was losing their mind, myself included. And it was just a really frustrating time. But seeing this at first, my first thought was I really hope that it wasn't just these commercial fishermen coming in hoping to get a really cool like oh you can catch sharks and then some joe schmo being like that'll be a really cool thing to like no i thankfully it wasn't it was more they're doing it for conservation and research which i am all on board for now one of them had hooked a mako uh makos are very common in that area as well as another open ocean fish so going to be around the same area that you would find the uh the silky shark that we talked about earlier but this one it was hooked, you see it breach, and then a couple seconds later you see another shark breach and it lands on the boat. Now, I thought this was two different sharks, uh, but then once I watched the video and like watched the interview they did, uh, it actually was the same shark, so they're just so quick uh, that it jumped out of the water and breached about like 10, 15 feet away from the boat, and then all of a sudden was right next to it and just breached trying to get off the hook and try to get away and actually ended up putting himself right into the boat, so doing the exact opposite of what he meant to do. But... From there, uh, he immediately starts, like, thrashing around. Everyone runs away. Uh, very smart, though, because, of course, as a person who loves sharks, my first thought is, oh, no, get it back in the water. But first things first, I will never tell you on this podcast to put a shark safety over top of your own. Of course, I will always say that I will do whatever I can if I ever encounter a shark that's beached itself or anything like that to get it back in the water. I'm never going to make – like, if it's just myself, I'm never going to try to carry a shark – like over top of my head it, like jaws anywhere like i'm gonna try to make sure i'm safe like anything like that same thing that i want you all to do i don't want you to suddenly try to lift a 400 pound shark by yourself to get it back in the water like i mean do what you can if you can if it's gonna be unsafe then no just better keep yourself safe so from here everyone got out the way and then as it after it calmed down because makos are also rather feisty uh, it actually finally stopped like thrashing about. They were able to calm it down, uh, get it tagged, uh, everything like that, and then they were able to open up the back door of the boat, as some have, and then just push it out that way, uh, and it was back on its way. Now, I feel like they did a really good job. The only uh, injury, which there really weren't any, but the only one that actually came up was the first mate 
uh, actually got smacked by its tail <laughs> as it was uh, flying through the air. So it kind of just, he just got slapped. He was fine. Uh, didn't get any cuts or bruises or anything like that. But it was more of a scary situation. Um, everyone got out the way, luckily, and no one got hurt, which was awesome. Uh, but, of course, if you're ever on a fishing boat and something like this happens, first things first, get away from it. Don't try to do anything immediately. Let it calm down. It's going to be as surprised to be on that boat as you are to see it. It's going to be a really crazy moment for everyone involved, including the shark. So they're going to be freaking out just as much as you guys are. So everyone needs to take a second to calm down. Let that shark work out some of its energy. It, it was expecting to land in water, and all of a sudden it's it's not there. So it's going to have to calm down for a second. It's going to be flopping around a lot like any fish would. Difference is usually you can just kind of grab a fish and toss it back. Makos are going to be a couple hundred pounds. So for one, if you're on a boat that has that back door, same deal. My best advice at this time would be simply just get that back door open try to push it back out. Might need to keep yourself away from the jaws in any way, shape, or form. Don't put your hand anywhere near its mouth. Don't put your foot anywhere near its mouth. Keep your legs away from its head. As much as you can, keep a, just a lot of you away from the mouth. That is going to be the one part of it that can really hurt you. It can slap you with its tail, but it's really not going to do too much. You might get like a, a worst, probably a sprain or something like that, but just be careful, uh, especially with the tail too, because it's going to be pretty powerful, but making sure that the mouth is the first thing, because hurting yourself with bruises and everything is going to stink, but losing a finger or something, trying to get a shark off your boat, very different. Um, another thing too is if, unfortunately, you don't have that back option, also don't try to lift this on your own. This is going to be, as I mentioned, a couple hundred pound shark. Makos are bigger than the Silky, so they're going to be over probably 500 pounds easily. I believe they're around 600 off the top of my head, maybe 800, but I have to look more into that. But they're going to be a really heavy shark too, so I don't want to try to insinuate that you should try lifting this on your own at all. Um, that's going to be incredibly hard unless you're the rock. Like, it's just not going to happen. So try to get someone else to help you if there's other people on the boat. If you're by yourself, congrats. You got a Mako. Take it to shore. There's, I don't really know what else you can do at that point. You can try to get it off, but it's going to be a really dangerous situation. Um, so just make sure you keep yourself safe at that point. But if other people are involved, try to get underneath its stomach, uh, underneath the pectoral fins, uh, and underneath the tail and just lift it that way. The more people, the better. Just also make sure you all have enough space to, once again, get away from the mouth. Also, don't lift it up and don't have anyone standing in front of it when you're lifting it up to get it over the side and then just push it back over. Because if someone's standing in front of you and you just take a freaked out shark right into someone's head, that's just a really rude move, first of all. Kind of not smart on anyone's part. But just trying to make sure that people are out of the way. You're not going in there to try to get them to be bitten by a shark. And as I mentioned earlier, make sure that they don't get to identify the shark by the teeth as it's latched onto them. That'd be absolutely horrible. So try to make sure everyone's out the way. Figure out how you're going to do this. Uh, time is an issue, but at the same time, your safety is more of an issue. So we don't want to make sure that we're not losing limbs while trying to rescue a shark. But that is what I have for the podcast this week. Uh, thank you all for listening so very much. Please follow the Instagram Deep Dives with Sharks. Of course, any questions that you guys have or anything like that, I'll be very happy to answer there. And of course, I will hopefully see you in the next one. Take care. Mm -hmm.